This episode of the No Film School podcast and all of our South by Southwest coverage is brought to you by Black Magic Design. Hey everybody, this is John Fusco and you're listening to the No Film School podcast. Making a coming-of-age film can be a tricky thing. There's a delicate line between teenagers keeping it real and overly nostalgic reminiscing. Even though it's his first feature, it's clear that Ninny and Doth will never have a problem towing that line and is truly a master of keeping it real. South by Southwest Midnight standout Boys in the Wood follows a group of kids as they set off deep in the Scottish Highlands as part of a camping program for troubled youth. As they push through the wilderness, they encounter everything from rap-loving farmers, to murderous dukes, to hallucinogenic rabbit shits. What really sets the film apart from the traditional coming-of-age story, if those didn't for you, is its strong influence from hip-hop culture. This might be obvious from a film whose title so closely resembles John Singleton's 1991 classic, but Ninian Doff's film is about as contemporary in tone as you can possibly get. While it's his debut feature, the director made a name for himself in his music video collaborations with acts like Run the Jewels, and his past work is clearly seen in the frenetic graphics, pulsating soundtrack, and blitzkrieg action that pervade through his feature. We sat down with Doff and his cast of boys soon after their opening night premiere at South by Southwest to talk about shooting a film that's 95% exteriors, building trust with young actors, and how to make a coming-of-age film that doesn't suck. Enjoy. Okay. Hey, everybody. This is John, and I am here with uh, pretty much almost the entire cast of Boys in the Wood. What up? What <laughs> up? The entire youthful uh, cast. Yeah. <laughs> and the director. Um, I'm going to let you guys actually introduce yourselves so the audience can uh, identify your voice when they're listening. So why don't we start with you, Ninian? Cool. I'll kick off. I'm Ninian Doff. I am the writer-director of the film Boys in the Wood uh, that had its world premiere at South by Southwest opening night, midnight movie. Nice. Yay! Yay. <laughs> I'm Viraj Shinaja. I played... <laughs> DJ Beetroot, I'm an actor slash writer. Uh, me and Ninian <laughs> collaborated together on one of the raps. Oh, uh, nice. DJ wrote four lines on the rap and has now decided he's the <laughs> co-script writer of the entire film. Do you have a credit on the film? I do, yeah. <laughs> there you go, then yes. I'd be pissed. I wouldn't be this happy if I didn't. So. <laughs> I'm Ryan Gordon. I play Dean Gibson in Boys in the Wood. I'm Samuel Bottomley and I play Ian Harris in Boys in the Wood. And I'm Lewis Grubbin, and I play Duncan in Boys in the Wood. And, uh, you know, what state in America are you guys all from? I can't really pick up the answer. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this yeah, one. To be fair, only, only, two of us, only two of us are Scottish, actually. I know, actually. Yeah, just me and, me and Ryan. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm this weird Scandinavian boy. <laughs> I will do. I will. I will do the serious answer because of these terrible young children. Uh, we, yeah, we are uh, two Scots and then uh, two English. Um, Northing. Where were you? I just said Leeds. I was forgetting. North of England, but doing a perfect Scottish accent, and the film must yeah, be said. Yeah, it was a good accent. And then, uh, and then, Viraj is a London boy playing a boy who's come up from London, uh, slightly trying to fake maybe how cool his London roots were in the film. <laughs> and where are you from, Ninian? So I am from everywhere. Okay. <laughs> but I'm so I'm born and bred Edinburgh, Scotland. Okay. But my mum's Dutch and my dad's English and I've been living down London Way for like 
12 years now or something mm. and somewhere along the line it cancelled out all accent mm. and all identity and it sort of you're pretty neutral aren't you do you know what I mean I could be like a really good international spy yeah. no, one, <laughs> no one would be able to hunt me down and work out where I'm from uh, but yeah, so I, but when I this is my debut film, and when it came to writing something and sort of trying to work that out, I really st- had this really strong excitement when I was like, oh my god, I want to go back to Scotland and Scottish voice, and thinking about teenagers and thinking about how long it felt like. Uh, Scotland's very unique and very cool, and people are brilliant. It's amazing hearing Scottish people just talk, and I was like, I felt, and I'm sure I'll be corrected by lots of Scottish filmmakers, but I felt it'd been a long time since I'd felt like a, just a cool and fresh and modern and not like bagpipes and you know lord of the ringsy vibes right. and uh, epic but just like just cool um and modern and so i was like oh my god i want to make that film now because mm. i want to watch it so then i just sort of frantically wrote and tried to get everyone up into the highlands what did you say <laughs> last night about um the music you listen to when you're walking around these like old school that was part of it this was part of it so like also i sort of joke joke that this is like the anti-bagpipe movie but that was another part of it where there's a sort of presumption maybe you know, not to be too presumptuous, maybe in UK filmmaking that you sort of, you are from Britain, you be British, so you do sort of a British indie track on your film and you have to stay very much confined. And, and I really had this feeling writing it. I, so Ed, if people don't know Edinburgh, Scotland, it, it looks like, it's like a medieval place with a castle in the heart of it and like hills, all this. And the school I went to is literally what Hogwarts was based on. So oh, it had wow. like turrets that you climb to go to your classroom so i'm walking around like harry potter land basically but on my headphones when i'm a teenager i'm listening to like cypress hill rapping about weed and i'm listening to like gangstar and naz and i was just purely listening to american hip-hop walking around the scottish highlands because you could get get very easily out into the mountains when you're in scottish cities and um and yeah walking truly walking around hogwarts listening to cypress hill and i was like so when i was writing that i was like oh the the truth of this then a weird way to do this the truth is absolutely oh my god i want Scottish Highlands with American hip hop. This is the coolest, best combination ever. Yeah. And it's also the most truthful combination. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, like one of my questions that I have here is, you know, uh, your film is very much, uh, I'd say, ingrained in hip hop culture. Um, and I was wondering if you could talk a little bit about where you think like hip hop and film kind of intersect and how maybe hip hop influenced you making this film. Yeah, I think, I mean, I think that's, yeah, a, a couple of very, very interesting question that I'm probably not articulate or smart enough to actually talk about. We know is in like the hip hop and film intersecting because I think that is a massive cultural. Of course, there's probably dissertations about that. Do you know what I yeah, mean? Yeah, yeah. There's some hip hop is the best hip hop is like storytelling and character driven, mm. and and has also this like driving beat that just like you know like. I'm very lucky, Run the Jewels on the soundtrack, and I've made music videos for Run the Jewels too, and they're one of my favorite current bands, and the reason is I put them on, and I, my brain starts racing, my heart starts racing, and I feel this momentum, mm. and my ideas start pumping and flying along, and I feel like hip-hop has that energy to it that makes me infectious to start telling stories, and that goes across there. And uh, I've forgotten the next part of the question. No, I mean, I think that was it, because you can really feel like that pulse throughout the, the pacing yeah. of your film too, yeah, and yeah. the the visual, like, you know, uh, graphics that pop up everywhere and the sort of interlacing of even, like, music video. Well, um, yeah, I mean, that's a part of, like, so So I came up through music videos. I'm a big fan of music videos. I'm passionate about them. And, and uh, when it came to making this film, my debut feature film, I sort of thought, oh, it's really, rather than being sort of um, having to say, oh, no, I've moved on or I'm better than music videos, I was like, oh no, this is going to be like a, also like a love letter, an acknowledgement of what music videos did for me, mm. and I'm going to put them at the heart of it, and I'm going to embrace it, um, 
which was sort of joyous because it meant I could also completely rip off my own back catalogue. Yeah. I'm used to like commercials stealing ideas from me, but now I was like, oh, I'll steal a little bit of this video, I'll steal a little bit of this video. I'll sue myself later. <laughs> did you, so how, how did like making, how did you get a start making music videos? What, what was your entry into that arena? Um, so basically I was uh, wanting to make films all my life and I was making like short films and um, while trying to make short films and writing stuff and feeling kind of quite disillusioned and burnt out by um, the filmmaking process to be honest and about like commissioning and about what films did well and what films got money to make scripts and I felt really burnt out. And then I, I went to a music video night called Bug in London which um, a comedian called Adam Buxton runs and they put um, music videos up on the best, one of the best cinema screens in London. They put great sound and you watch like 15 music videos that are really good that month and he's very funny in between them. And I just sort of went along casually and it was like, it was like a religious experience. Mm. I was like, I couldn't sleep that night because it was like being at, it was like being at a really boring party where everyone has been really sensible and then you find like the room where you open it and everyone's like going wild in this one and you're like, oh my God, I find this. And it was like creative and energetic and the ideas were flying and there was still narrative and it was just like, it was just so enlightening. And that was at an era where directors, people listening to this will know like um, the Daniels and Keith Schofield and Hiro Murai and Megaforce and all these sort of guys were just, just popping and just making very creative stuff very regularly. And I was like, oh my God, this is where my voice uh, can like actually like be appreciated. And so I just went hard at music videos and fell completely in love with them. And, and very fortunately sort of, yeah, entered its... Uh, universe how did you meet like uh run the jewels or what was that process like were you you know um were you doing cold calls or were you just like sending pitches out to artists that's quite or? funny so 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 um signed represented by you get represented sort of by a company often as director so pulse films represent me for music videos and, and they've got a very strong musical link and so they do tracks get sent to them and then you pitch on them and this and that and normally that's how it goes uh, Run the Jewels, though, it's funny you mentioned, is the only time I've, I've directly approached an artist. And mm. like I said, I was com just completely in love with their music and them and everything they were about. And it's the only time I've said, oh, I want to make a music video for this band, can you approach them? So the, the guys from Pulse reached out to the management and they immediately came back and they're like, yeah, yeah, cool, this track. And they said, if you watch my music video, the chorus goes, got that dick in a mouth all day, got that dick in a mouth all day. And I was like, oh, sh <laughs> shit. Like, I, I've, I've openly said I want to make a music video for these guys. I like to think I make sort of quite intelligent, uh, creative music videos. And they have sent me the hardest track ever to do something, you know, beautiful or creative original yeah. with. And I found out later, it's very mischievous of them, I found out later, they'd been trying to make a music video for this for like a year or something and no one had been able to crack it. And they were definitely like, oh, oh, you want to make a video for us? And they just purposefully threw me the like the, the cursed track. Yeah. Um, but I then, yeah, go watch the video and see how I solved it. Yeah. That, how I solved that problem. I actually just watched it yesterday. <laughs> it's, it's one of my favorite tracks on that album, actually. Well, the, the other thing is because it's one of the jewels is actually very clever. So just to, yeah. so you don't think it's just a, a tough thing. It, it literally, like we talked about hip hop and storytelling, it is a three act story. And act three right. is like a sort of feminist revenge and it flips it all on its head. Yeah. So it's a, it's a super clever track. I'll put the music video in the post. Okay. That's with this podcast <laughs> because it's, it's something. Um, and I'm going to open up to you guys now. Uh, one thing that we talked about, we were just talking about was the the uh, sort of hip-hop pulse that he was bringing through uh, uh, the film. And I was wondering if you guys could talk about how maybe he directed you to keep up that energy and to, like, keep it moving in a way that was, uh, I, I guess, exciting and fresh throughout. 
because there's never really a moment where it, the movie slides down. You know what I mean? You guys are just constantly like going. Yeah. And what are some what are some things that he did to like keep that energy yeah, well, up for it, you? I mean, four week shoot two years ago, we're still recovering. Yeah, from that. Um, but not, not quite two years. <laughs> oh, sorry. Yeah. Um, feel, yeah. Um, I'd say I'd say, I mean, for me personally, just you know, it's not it's not often you get a script that's so funny coming through and it's just like what this is like one of the, the dream opportunities and when you get it this is like oh my god like this we're gonna be creating something absolutely fucking insane yeah so it's like just being on set every day knowing what you're doing looking at my you know full white costume yeah. being with these guys um was there's there's never a dull moment with us lot um and i think everyone was just really happy to be there and really just enjoying their job Nanny was pretty vocal that like the acting had to be you know authentic and realistic. So I don't think we ever took in uh, into consideration as much as like this like these hip hop aspects. We just played the truth and and and, and did it as real as we could. Mm. Yeah, that, that's a big thing which these guys did very well, which we did in a rehearsal, which I do a lot, which was it was like we're not as ridiculous as the script can be at points. We're playing this so sincere and so straight, and that's what these boys pulled off because people come away talking about the friendship and the authenticity, and that's so not almost not playing it as a comedy, which yeah. is the magic of them. And we all absolutely adore Indians, so <laughs> when they're going, they get tough. It were a, little, a lot easier to stick it out. When they're going, got duff. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, when, when it when it when it did start to get difficult, it were a lot easier to to push on and power on just so to make him him happy and and get it done for him really. Yeah. Um, he just let me off the reins really and just let me go wild. <laughs> that was one thing uh, with my my character. Just let me go a bit mad, which was great. Yeah, the thing. Um, definitely encouraged us just to like do whatever. Yeah, he's just he was yeah he was always just like just do that again, just do it like crazier and all that kind of stuff. I was like, all right, cool. So it was um, it's a glimpse into my direction. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, <laughs> so it was just really cool. Like he really was a good director. Also, can I, it's also it's just really cool though because like um, this is his baby. Do you know what I mean? This is what you know. He's been he's been writing. He's been sort of developing for so long. It would have been so easy to be like, right, this is what I've written. Can you stick to that? And can you say that exactly how I've put? There's a full stop there. You didn't pause. But he was very sort of like, if you had, you could always go to him like, can I say this? I'm feeling that. He's like, yeah, cool, go for it. Do you know what I mean? He was always open to adaptation. Yeah, and, and sometimes like some of the lines changed because of our personalities and get uh, like him getting to know us and like thinking all oh, that you know. The way he kind of acts like that, this line would kind of work like that. So he did change some things for like because of our personalities and stuff, which yeah, is really cool. He knew it better than anyone, but he definitely had a clear vision. But he he, he just let us, you know, go for it and see where we could go with it. Because it's obviously like a podcast for a lot of filmmakers interested in that, and you mm -hmm. talk about the pace and keeping up. It's worth saying this was a shot shot in uh, twenty four days, so four six day weeks, so six days have the Sunday I say off uh, like <laughs> Sunday is just prepping for Monday right yeah. um, so 90% uh, outdoors possibly 95% I think there's yeah. one interior location and <laughs> two, two interior locations I'll film in the Scottish Highlands and so and you're right there's not sort of like okay now we got a a day of you know um, B camera stuff where you're just walking around because of the nature of the schedule. I would have loved that day, but the nature of the schedule was every single minute is a pivotal piece of narrative that absolutely has to make the final edit for the story to work. Yeah. And and also for these guys, so they kept up. But we used to, you know, you'd have an hour left of your shooting day, 
and there became a shorthand with these boys where I talked about hero mode and I was like I was like guys were in hero mode and what that meant was like I'm gonna like try and do like um like 16 setups in the next one hour <laughs> and you are gonna smash every line take one take two, maximum take two and the amazing thing with these guys and I can't say enough and it's to do with working together and it's to do with rehearsing and it's also to do with just natural chemistry and it's also to do with just genuine incredible talent is when they went to hero mode the hit rate and we're talking humor right humor is really it's not just like jokes are so hard to land and we'd go in hero mode and we would like sm I'd see punchlines get smashed on take one which is so hard for comedy timing and there's ones it's like one of my favorite lines of the film that always lands really well is um uh uh, Sam has a line um, I've never seen a murder before I'm homeschooled yeah. and that was shot with three minutes to go before we dipped into yeah. overtime our DOP running lying on the ground skidding to a halt to get the low angle mm. go boom 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 and he's like go, he's got this well, cause what he has to do is he has to hold back he has to wait for a long time and stare at something and then at the perfect point when he's been staring too long drop this line that's like take one. It's an absolute, absolute magical moment. I think what was super <laughs> important as well, and it's a, it's a luxury that, from what I've heard, you don't really get. Is we got two weeks rehearsal. Mm. And I think to like, to jump into such a kind of you know mad world, it was really important. So we were all kind of on day one. We turned up and we knew what we were doing. Do you know, it wasn't like we just turned up and started shooting like Nanny laid out to us like you know. Another really yeah. fun thing we had. Um, so we were, we were based. Oh mate, I'm losing my voice. Um, yeah, we were based out of uh, Glasgow in Scotland and the great thing the amazing thing about Glasgow is I mean you can really see the mountains when you're in the city but you were literally within 20 minutes you are feeling like you're in the middle of nowhere and even we had initial locations that were like not that far outside the city centre so on those two, week, two weeks I had a rental car it was me and the four boys in the car we just drove out into like the actual locations sometimes wearing the costumes then we'd spend an entire day just like Bonding sitting in the mud man. rehearsing <laughs> scenes so when we came to shoot some of the scenes we'd like actually physically sat in those places and blocked mm. out the scenes. Even with our costumes on yeah, as well, you'd, yeah, you'd dress yeah, yeah. us up. And that like, made everything a lot quicker. Yeah, and yeah. this was amazing. So sometimes you'd have to be like, this one scene, which is quite snappy, the film actually had had a six hour full in-location rehearsal because of just the joy of that little session. Mm. I said this last night, but we actually learned the full script, like a play, like we knew every scene. Mm. We, we performed it for the cast and crew the day before we started shooting. So, I mean, we really knew it inside out. We, um... We had two, were it two weeks or was one week? Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Two weeks. Was it? Yeah, man. Yeah, yeah, we had like two weeks of just getting to know each other um, so that the chemistry was showed on camera. And um, two weeks, like, we read the script like three times a day. <laughs> yeah, it was How ridiculous is that? But even like, <laughs> even like as, soon as, as soon as we met each other in that hotel, me and Ryan got the train up. Yeah. As soon as we met each other, and I'd never met Sam before. I think these guys had yeah, uh, we, we had an audition. Yeah, I'd never met Sam, but literally walked downstairs. It's just like, you're right, Sam. Just got started muffling his hair. He was just <laughs> with his crown. It was just like I've known him for. Do you know what I mean? We just like instantly. You just knew. Like, as soon as you saw each other, you're like, right, we're gonna go on something special here. It's gonna be an amazing journey. Yeah. I already told these guys like a mad story about my past life and as an owl. And, like <laughs> the first week of rehearsals. Like first day, wasn't it? Yeah. He really opened first up day, to I just was like, that. man, I think I was an owl in a past life or something like that. Because <laughs> uh, he has difficulty sleeping at night. So I was just like, you know, felt really comfortable just from the first day to tell him that weird story. <laughs> so yeah, the dynamic was already there. That's great. I mean, all those like characteristic, all those personality traits definitely like come through in the movie too later on. So it's valuable to get to know each other in that way where you can sort of just have that free form sort of chemistry together. Um, 
you know, and it's also avoids another pitfall, I think, of a lot of coming of age movies. And I talk about I talked about this with another director uh, earlier in the festival, uh, where it's like adults looking back on their past and like feeling nostalgic mm-hmm. about it, and they don't actually write characters where like teenagers who are actually teenagers. They write like reflections of what they think teenagers like were. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. So to be yeah. able to have them like come out and authentically. Mm. Uh, put some of their own personality into it, you're avoiding that pitfall, you know, from the beginning. Yeah, yeah, it's a funny one, um, because I'm, I was I was hyper aware of exactly what you're saying. And then, weirdly, on the one hand, and this is kind of interesting, on the one hand, I was like, yeah, that weird thing of an adult voice writing youth. But then, actually, one thing I consciously did was I, when I wrote it, I avoided... Sometimes you watch, like, a, a drama on TV where an adult has written a lot of street talk and they're like, mm-hmm. hey, bruv, what's up, yo? And you go, and you just die within one minute. You die. And so, so I actually actively wrote the script where I was like, I'm not going to write youth chat. Okay. So, so the slang is, if anything, a little bit weirdly dated, but it's not that as in like, I just was like, I'm not going to try and, what? Google. Cool words that children, young, young people say now. Uh, I was just like, I'm just not going to write any of them in. And then the great thing is when you bring in the cast, obviously, there is rhythms where you just like, that That sounded totally wrong coming out of your mouth and you find the way to say it. But yeah, there was an, inter- an interesting note for people reading this. When I was writing the script, I was like, I'm going to avoid slang because that's what's going to trip me up. Did you ever like just put in like a, like brackets with like no words in there and just be like, insert whatever they have to say here? You know what yeah, I mean? yeah, yeah. No, I mean, like I say, I think what I did was I... I probably wrote it straighter than it is in the film. Gotcha. So I wrote like, hey, come on, let's go. And then, you know, as the boys are there, they'll be like, probably just add three swear words into it. I was about to say, the only thing that Ninian, like tried to get us to hold back on was swearing because it just started coming out in every single line and it got a bit mad. So we just had to like hold back on that. Bit. What's your phone called? Fucking boys in the wood. <laughs> <laughs> Well, talking about Boys in the Wood, and you hinted at it earlier, but you know, the, almost the entire film is shot outside, which is a huge challenge, I think, for a lot of filmmakers. So, especially I was in Scotland, see, yeah, in Scotland too. <laughs> like, but what weather. is the weather like? It's yeah, yeah. Like well, there's, there. a, there's a first fun, fun irony in that title that um, I I wanted no one to ever get to the woods, nowhere to hide, right? So no one actually makes it to the woods, and then the mm-hmm. in uh, the film sort of has a secondary subversive uh, plot and street running through it and, and one of the subtle ones I like is when they do finally get to the woods they've been deforested and chopped down Ooh. so like when the boy, boys in the wood try and say let's find the woods then the next line that Lewis shouts is the woods are shit <laughs> and they've all been cut down already um, which was a sort of nice little subtle environmental uh, nod um, but your question was what just do you, shooting do you have, yeah, do you have any like practical tips for people who are <laughs> like shooting who have written a script that requires I mean, a lot of external shots it's sort of thing I can say now That's with true. the wonderful benefit of hindsight that you are sort of ludicrous like there is an element that you are just praying to the gods that yeah. you're not going to get like so so we we shot you, you, people who don't people who don't know Scotland might think this was like shot in December but this is uh, Scotland in August right okay. and it's grey skies and it's very overcast and we had one day of sun and that became actually really problematic like our DP was really stressed about the sun because right. we, we were so into our grey skies and it really fitted our film um, but at the same time like so that was cool and you're dealing with all that but you are like there was an element obviously that like 
if we'd had like a week of storms, this I, I would not be sitting here and this would be horrific. Like you are praying to the gods to a certain extent. Obviously, we wrote a script that was set in Scotland. So I always said, listen, if it's raining for the whole film, that's funny. Sure. I didn't write anything where I was like, the boys are sunbathing. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. You, you know the country that you're shooting in. And there were, and, it, and there is, there was whole days when everyone was standing in the pissing rain. I mean, there was an, uh, the night shoots. There was one night shoot when it was torrential rain the entire shoot, and everyone just had to grin and bear it and look so right on camera. Mm. But um, I suppose the biggest obvious bit of advice is write the weather into your screenplay, and then you're not going to be, you're not going to not be able to turn over. Yeah, you know what I mean. I, every scene, I said, well, if it's raining in this scene, it's raining, mm. and and. Uh, our cameraman, our cameraman, sorry, God, I just insulted my director of photography. <laughs> <laughs> cinematographer. Incredible cinematographer, pa Patrick Mellor, had a sort of secret side quest, I said to him, where I was like, in between every setup, just swing the camera around and find me transitional cutaways. Mm -hmm. So find me a cloud parting, sun coming out, rain coming down. Cause, and actually, in the edit, I only used them once, but I was just like hyper aware that I said, I might come to the edit and have the weather just be flying left, right and center. And I have to just be like, it's, it started raining now. Yeah. Um, and they did actually, there's a, a whole bunch of landscapes to do with sound design, but yeah, exactly. Like, like build, build a little buffer for the edit of, mm. um, cutaway shots that tell you that inexplicably it suddenly becomes sunny. Yeah. <laughs> or it's like raining in the middle. Yeah. Of yeah. Yeah. Like why does it start? I mean, and you also, the other, the other thing is like, as everyone who's made films knows that, um, if the scene's working, continuity doesn't matter, basically. Mm -hmm. And there are scenes in this film where um, it's raining on one angle and it's not raining on the other. Mm -hmm. And no one's picked up on it. And yeah. if anyone wants to say that that's not very good, Christopher Nolan's Dunkirk has got the worst weather continuity in any film in the world. And I don't even notice it. But if you go through it, <laughs> if you go through it, it is luminous bright sun on one angle and it cuts to pissing rain on the other. And you go, well, if Nolan can do that in Dunkirk. Then. Yeah. And the great thing is it came out while we're shooting and people literally saw it that weekend and they came back and they're like, Ninian, the weather's all over the place in Dunkirk <laughs> and it's great. And I was like, great, wicked, fine. That's, <laughs> that's very funny that, yeah. Um, I do want to actually ask too, you know, you bring up editing. Did you edit this film yourself? It, it was a, a, a sort of a, a mixed journey. Edit, the edit of this film was, was an amazing experience and also probably the most, uh, the biggest learning curve experience of someone moving from short form to long form. Okay. That, that was editing, telling a story in that length. So did a sort of big first push with an editor called Ross Hallard who'd cut music videos for me before and some other stuff like that. And we sort of really got it. We found the, the, meat, the main meat of the film. Right. And then, um, and then there was a really helpful process, especially when you're dealing with something where the pace is so crucial and the comedy is so important of sort of like, um, I'm, when it comes to comedy, I'm a fan of, I, I don't call it like test screenings, like in the traditional Hollywood sense, really just getting rooms of people in together and being like, what funny, what was suck? When did the energy go? Because you just yeah. lose perspective of it. So we did a really good little session of both in, uh, in the US and in the UK, just showing groups of people, getting really, you know, good smart feedback and putting it all together. And then there was a little pass from an editor called Mark Everson who's done, um, like the Alan Partridge film and the Paddington film and Mighty Boosh. And he, he sort of did almost like a comedy pass where he was just like, get the rhythms right of your jokes. And then there was still some sort of clunk narrative things where we were like, oh, why is this not quite landing? And we sort of did all this research. And then the final, the final push, I was like, I almost had a document in front of me where I was like, I know the exact configuration of the puzzle pieces now. So can I just go in the edit suite? on my own, lock the door and not leave until this is the film that I want to make. And, and, and I, you know, your first films are all different experience, but it must be said, like I had producers and financiers who are sort of the stuff of dreams in terms of support and that. And they were absolutely like, not like, 
no, you're not going off to do that. They were like, yeah, that's how this film's going to get finished. We totally get it. We think you're right. Go in that room. We're going to lock the door. And we'll see you when the film works. <laughs> how about like all the VFX and, and stuff? Did you, was that stuff that you did yourself or was that uh, with the aid of someone else? Like, do you have that skill set as a, as a director? So, yeah, um, uh, again, because I, yeah, sort of thing I always find interesting when listening to podcasts like this. So my background is in, is in motion graphics and editing. But I say that tentatively because I was sort of, uh, I was an after effects motion graphics guy. I never right. went into like, I didn't learn Nuke, I didn't learn 3D properly, all that. But I love it, I love motion graphics. I'm sort of frustrated motion graphics artist, really. So I, I did in the offline tons of offline posts that I, you know, would spend ages in after effects doing. And, we, and it was really helpful because people could see the cuts with it. Right. Um, and then, uh, but then that, sort of all that post, um, Jeremy. Jeremy Cox, that's right, isn't it? Cox. Yeah, Jeremy Cox, our poster guy, um, then sort of took my After Effects work as a reference point and then did incredibly beautiful and fantastic post versions of it. So, yeah, it was really helpful in the edit, though, that I could bodge things together. Yeah, I mean, it's it's awesome to be able to, like, have that... Uh um, that framework in place for someone who has a little bit more experience mm. to polish up, you know? The other good thing is if people watch the film, there's some really, really creative and out there visual stuff oh, in yeah. it. And the great thing with that was I was able to do a, a sort of a rubbish version of it as the brief, where if I'd had to try and talk about what I wanted to yeah. show, it would have taken about a year. About it's almost like a yeah. lookbook. You almost yeah, have right, like a exactly. lookbook for VFX. Yeah, 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 yeah. Are those, is that stuff that you had in mind while you were writing the script or is that kind of stuff that you discovered in the edit itself? A little bit of a mix. So there's a really tripped out hallucination sort of sequence that yeah. I... I knew when I was, I sort of, I sort of knew vaguely where I was going to take it. Yeah. Like I say, that was a little bit of me, like I say, ripping off my back catalog. Um, mm. And then, uh, but then there's also an amazing, at the heart of the film, there's uh, an insane music video sequence um, with farmers getting whipped up into a mosh pit storm by DJ Beatrue. And um, that got increasingly out there visually in the edit. Mm. I didn't realize quite how much I was going to go to town on, on uh, sort of the graphical treatment on that. So it was a sort of fun discovery. Cool. Well, I'm going to ask you guys just to wrap up here. Uh, you know, it, I ask this to all my podcast guests. Uh, if you have any advice for a uh, golden piece of advice for emerging directors, actors, you know, actually, if you guys could give like uh, advice about sort of uh, what you like in directors, like what, what you find helpful um, from directors that you wish uh, directors could know, I guess, if you're going into it. Let's start there. When they cost me. Uh, so. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> cast me. <laughs> uh, I'd say yeah. Uh, as I said before, just be like, be open. Um, d d as I I've worked with a few who, um, you know, like, not always like on a professional shoot. Maybe just doing like some theatre or sure. at drama school, mm -hmm. um, where they like to almost act it out and say, right, do that. And it's a bit like, oh, okay, well, why don't you just do it? <laughs> you yeah. cast yourself. Yeah. Almost, you know what I mean. Uh, but whereas Ninian is almost like, oh, okay, well, this is this is the tone you play with it, and mm. um, and that's really helpful because you, you're finding it yourself, and mm. it's like you know yourself when it's truthful. Otherwise, it's just Im imitating someone else, isn't it? Totally. So um, yeah, that's what I'd say. Great. Yeah, if they've got if they've got trust and belief in you, then I think think that's the most important thing, and it works. Mm -hmm. Um, I'd say. Maybe get maybe get to know your actors and how they um, work and how they learn. Because mm -hmm. um, there's no not worse than having like a bad dynamic between like a director and an actor. Because mm -hmm. you don't get stuff done. Do you know what I mean? Right. Mm -hmm. So when you when you both on the same same level, you get stuff done a lot a yeah. lot quicker and a lot easier and a yeah. lot lot, lot funner. 
um, yeah, just have a really good collaboration. Like it is a collaboration relationship. So it's like have fun doing it. Um, you know, work out what's not working either from performance or like from what they want from you or whatever. I think that's really important. And also just be really friendly. Um, because you know, because like some directors are quite intense, and it's just like I don't really work well when someone's like, "Wait, just do it," and I'm just like, "No, okay, all right." So like, just be really relaxed and cool as well. That actually goes a long way, I think. Yeah, yeah. Don't have that ego. Don't separate. have ego. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> cool. <laughs> Lewis Gribben humbling every director. <laughs> That's humble. true. We had a we had a very incredible uh, cast and crew on this, where it was very collaborative and and, and yeah, like not ego power trips mm-hmm. and this and that and, mm-hmm. and that's how you can also get through shoots like this yeah uh do you have any yeah um, i do actually i'm based i'm obviously out here at south by southwest and i've been talking to uh, other filmmakers and and very uh, flatteringly i've had uh, aspiring filmmakers say oh what an amazing debut or what a great debut mm-hmm. film and this is why this is on my mind when you say this uh, and i immediately grab them I'm like oh well this is the secret which is stop um stop fetishizing the perfect debut film, mm. right? So stop being like, oh my God, Tarantino did Reservoir Dogs, oh my God, you know, Orson Welles did Citizen Kane at 25, yeah. blah, blah, blah. Um, I was completely, completely uh, creatively blocked by exactly that sort of thought process of like, the first film I do has to be this huge statement, it has to be, and then you just don't write anything. And then I, and then I had this breakthrough where I went, oh, I think this idea is funny and I want to write it. And I was like, okay, screw it. That's going to be my first film. And, and, and weirdly, not to sound um, uh, like it's sort of like giving up, but weirdly, I just wrote the script being like, well, you know what? It might not be the best thing I've ever written, but it's going to be fun to write. And then, of course, what happened is I was so free, it became the best thing I had ever written. And the absolute breakthrough was to stop being precious because even if you wrote... Citizen Kane, you would be unhappy with bits of it. Like, you will never, ever, ever, ever write your perfect debut. So just write anything and just start making films, and then your next one will be better, your next one, your next one. But yeah, do not be paralyzed by the myth of your own sort of uh, future career or something. Yeah, dude. Great. Well, thanks for joining us today, guys. And uh, <laughs> enjoy the rest of South By. I don't know when you're leaving, but... Tomorrow. Tomorrow. Have a good trip back. <laughs> Thank you so much for having us. I'm such a fan of your site and your podcast, and it's really amazing for us to all be on this. Hey, man, it's great to have you. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. Thanks for listening. If you like what you heard, please subscribe to the No Film School podcast and give us a rating on iTunes to let us know how we're doing. You can listen to a new interview episode every Monday. And, of course, check out the site for all the latest in filmmaking news tips gear we got everything for you i'm john fusco you can follow me on twitter at jim underscore john underscore jim and you can follow no film school at no film school until next week keep it real